0: everybody, and welcome to the 199th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast whose ban list does not include your LGS. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, aka Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on a really awesome, active, useful, super profitable Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. But, you know, Cliff, I don't know how much longer any of that can go on because oh. hard on the street is LGSs are just Dead?
1: Dead? Like, how dead sounds are we? Like a are week we, or
0: two from now? It talking? sounds like they're all closing, Cliff. This all is this mostly dead? Missed.
1: Is this mostly dead? Are we checking the pockets for change?
0: It sounds like they're all bailing. All five or 6,000 businesses worldwide,
1: the There's... remainder
0: of the hobby shops. It's just a 90s business model. It's not going anywhere. They're not selling anything. Nobody's making any money. It's a, It's
1: just dead. Yeah, because buying for things for less than you sell them for and reselling them is a terrible business model. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. God, how does anybody make any money? Because the rest of the mini mall's
0: occupants would definitely not like to be able to run a buy
1: list on shoes. I, you know, I've never it occurred to me to ask this, but what else has a buy list like Magic does?
0: uh you're... basically like vintage clothing stores
1: vintage clothing okay uh you're sure. you know a lot more about the toy market than i do is that an equivalent thing
0: toy stores are usually pretty reluctant to buy stuff second hand but if they are like multi-purpose like hobby stores that also deal with things like magic and comics and D and stuff then definitely like tcgs and some places will buy board games i suppose if they're in good shape um, but I'd say comics and cards comics. Are, the, are the two yeah. most frequent in collectibles.
1: Hmm. Well, good for us for being in on it, and good for you, our audience, for being part of this awesomeness.
0: So I do want to address in a more serious way, though, a continuation of earlier discussions that Travis and I have had, really for years, but it's come up several times this year already. <laughs> every It seems like every time Wizards releases a product that is not that is direct to market and doesn't go through the LGS or an announcement is made about support for arena or, and the digital product line in general, or (coughs) they seem to be pulling back from uh, a broader investment in what people like to refer to as competitive play. Those seem to be the three main, um, issues that are getting people super worried about what the future is of their local gaming store. Um, I've heard anecdotally from lots of vendors this fall that they have (coughs) had trouble with sales, um, partly because of poor format management, partly because um, I think that uh, Magic players got pretty burned out on the constant barrage of products this year, Um, partly because... The period towards the end of the year um, has a natural dead zone anyway when people are spending a bunch of money on Christmas presents and so forth um, and starting to plan winter vacations and all that kind of stuff, good stuff. Um, And, you know, partly because of all the bannings, uh, which I guess is part and parcel with poor format management, really. Um, We've had a lot of cards Probably more cards banned in the last three months than in any other three-month period that I can think of. That's got to be
1: right. I'm not... Considering all the Pioneer bans, that has to be correct. I'm thinking of, like, didn't... I think at once they hit Emrakul, they hit... Did they hit Emrakul at the same time as Aetherworks Marvel?
0: I want to say that that year there might have been three or four it was and there have been other and there have been a couple of other years in the last 10 that had three or four
1: yeah that that sounds about right i I feel like
0: i feel like we're at 10 plus for 2019
1: it feels that way that's for sure
0: because the the pioneer band list has to be that long now right
1: right uh we are talking about multiple formats worth of banning too it's not just standard
0: yeah so the total band list for pioneer currently stands at do 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 and we're going to talk more about the two that got banned this week at the end. Yeah, there's one, there's including the five if you if you cut out the five fetch lands two, three. There's nine. Nine bannings in pioneer so far. felidar Guardian Field of the Dead, Leyline of Abundance, Nexus of Fate, Oath of Nissa. That's not going to last on that list long term. Oko Thief of Crowns, Once Upon a Time, Smuggler's Copper, Bale of Summer. Um, and then there's been a few others in Standard, right? So I think, I think we're at something like
1: Don't 15 forget. 15. Don't forget the modern bands, the too, like we had Bridge from Below and Hogak.
0: Yeah. So I think in the last six months, it's something like 15 cards. That sounds about right. So I think at the top of this conversation, because all of these issues that people are upset about are real issues. It's not like any of them are fake um, or even that they are necessarily minor. But I think that people are getting confused between issues that are structural in the economy of magic and misinterpretations of the long-term goals of Hasbro slash WOTC versus short-term to mid-term game management issues that include issues with design. Um, them having admitted to pushing design harder this year and probably into 2020 than they had in recent years because they wanted to sell more packs pushing more premium products because they wanted to make more money and they wanted to sell them directly so they captured the full margin and all of the messing around they've done with the legacy of the GP circuit and the pro tour from renaming things to changing how you qualify for it a million times to the point where it's so confusing that I just have completely given up on tracking how you could, how you qualify. Um, I'm always just pleasantly surprised if players I care about are playing in big tournaments. Um, And then there's this whole angle of uh, how they have chosen to focus on pushing arena. So I want to break down each of these for a couple minutes each and hopefully try to provide some guidance for listeners in terms of how they can most accurately reflect on what has happened so far, what is likely to happen moving forward, and what it is likely to mean for Magic the Gathering and Paper Magic in particular. <coughs> so... Um, Let's talk about whether or not Wizards of the Coast expects to be selling paper magic in five years. What's your opinion on this?
1: Is that a question? Oh, yeah. I cannot imagine they're not. Um, Look, they. my take is that they're trying to do uh, something that they haven't really been able to do effectively with Magic Online, and that's make an easy, accessible version of Magic. Um, they have had an online version of Magic for a long ass time, and for a long ass time, it was a real piece of garbage program. Um, I think in other casts, I've talked about like uh, the last time I played a lot of Moto was around borwin Shadowmore, and. You just basically entered big events knowing that you would get a refund and it was just free packs. Um, I think that they're showing their uh, lo- their acknowledgement that there's a big part of the game beyond just the competitive play, the the game. And the Command Fests are a real strong example of how they're trying to sate the casual market, the people who are like the gathering part of Magic, because that's really my favorite part too, is getting to play this game with a bunch of people. It's why I love cubing as much as I do. Um, I, I cannot imagine that there won't be any LGSs around in five years. I cannot imagine Wizards wants to give up on the relatively free distribution model that they have. Wizards doesn't pay stores anything, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Stores have to yeah. like apply and set these goals and meet these goals in order to get things from Wizards. So Both both
0: in terms, true, and it's both in terms of the number of people that are playing on site and the amount of products you're willing to commit to purchasing. So all
1: of that does not point to uh, something where uh, the, the local game store is a sucky model they want to get rid of. I think they're taking a bite at an apple that they usually would let the game stores have because... I mean, it's, they get to. Because they can Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I, for one, am not opposed to direct marketing because it means I won't have to lay out a hundred some odd dollars for a From the Vault if I can find a store that still has one in stock. Uh, they've gone through some really crappy ways to get the Mythic Editions out there. And once they have a store that can withstand the demand that they're putting on their... What's the word I want? Distribution model? Like they have something that doesn't crash and suck. Um, I'm I'm all for being able to buy stuff directly. I think this is good for us. I, I think it's less stressful. Do you want to buy this? Great. Do you have to buy it? Not at all. Although the, the new collector booster cards, that's an area for discussion. You know, Cobalt, Cobalt, Corvald? Corvald. Being forty dollars is a is a is an oopsie. So that's that's my take. That's my take.
0: Currently you can get him for twenty, so he's not there yet. Oh thank God. The um Okay, but I want to backtrack to I think what one of the most key points is. People like to point at things like Secret Layer and Mythic Edition and say, look, this is evidence that Wizards is experimenting with ways to cut the LGS out of the picture. And the end result of that will be that the LGS won't be able to survive selling magic product and they're all going to close. There's a bunch of things that just don't hang together in that series of arguments. The first is the main product lines of Magic the Gathering, the four sets a year, plus arguably in the last 10 years, the premium sets that they've started putting out, now more frequently, but as early as Modern Masters 2013 is probably the first major one where they decided, hey, wait, instead of a... $100 box, let's sell a $300 box or a $250 box. Um, That signals the the beginning of an era where Wizards starts to understand that there are enough high-income earners in the game and enough whales and enough 30-somethings and 40-somethings in peak earning years that are not necessarily subject to the same economic constraints as the generation coming up behind them that they are going to start to market to them more directly and give them more things to spend money on more frequently. And this year certainly represents where they, where they get to once they start down that road. We got way more products and and, way, and some of them were direct and a lot of them were quite expensive. <coughs> However, most of those new products rest on top of the pre-existing product suite that the LGS still have full access to. So the only real thing you can argue that they've they've lost access to would be something like FTVs. You know, if secret layer is the new FTV, then Wizards selling it directly does cut out the LGS on that specific relatively minor revenue stream. But this is in a year, mind you, where they had a bunch of knock-it-out-of-the-park products like War of the Spark, excellent set. The year before that, Dominaria. Um, had Mod- Modern Horizons was a massive bestseller um, that made LGS a ton of money because it has a thicker margin than a regular booster box by significant significant amount, um, and had Hogak and a couple of other cards not developed into real problems, and then more problems in the core set in the summer, and more problems in Eldraine that represent a design a play design. Um, uh, theory issue that needs to be resolved <coughs> had those bannings not been necessary i think vendors would have been would have finished out, out the year really strongly um instead they were you know standard attendance is at real lows like probably lows we haven't seen since <coughs> the dark days of eros block mono blue and mono black devotion decks where like the format basically came down to are you playing deck a or deck b um and that will happen every five years or so in magic like that's that's inevitable because play design continues to get things wrong and we've never seen any evidence that they can get it right consistently enough for that to just disappear
1: plus uh if they always get it right that means stuff is boring
0: right which which can have the same kind of impact on attendance and sales um where people just aren't excited with the new stuff because the power level is not there there's quote-unquote, no good cards in the set. Right. So they went the other way this year and they gave us tons of good cards and a lot of them were broken and that created real problems. But people are confusing the two issues. Stores didn't end up doing worse towards the end of the year because of Secret Lair and Mythic Edition. First of all, both of those products were things that a, a store that's on top of their A game should have purchased and resold. Like, If MTG Finance can do it, a vendor certainly can. Yeah, they don't like it because they don't have their built-in wholesale margin, wholesale to retail margin. But so what? Like, those of us that bought secret layer bundles and flipped tickets for 70 70 bucks the night of and then flipped them for like $300 the same week, that's a completely acceptable margin for a store. They should have bought bundles. (laughs) And if they've got relationships overseas the shipping and export taxes and stuff were so high that them working on some kind of deal with a contact overseas in Europe or Japan or whatever and, and, and moving some units over there, maybe in exchange for some EDH staples or something they need, all of those opportunities were on the table. And it was also true of Mythic Editions. If vendors that were on the floor at GPs chose to pick up Mythic Editions, like Mythic Edition 1, if you remember, was only available at GPs, um, after the initial online sale, the basically the second half of the inventory was released one GP at a time around the world, That I think it was like 11 GPs or something. Um, those ended up, for at least Mythic Edition 1 and 3, being serious moneymakers too. So the argument that they are locked out is a simple falsehood. They just need to adjust their model. All of those, all of those premium products, whether it was Modern Horizons or Secret Layer or Mythic Editions or Japanese War of the Spark, all of that stuff was just about being nimble. If you were quick on your feet, you were paying attention to the market, you went in when you were supposed to, and got out fast. You would have done very, very well. Um, so there's that. There's also the, the the people need to tease out the cascade effect that is implied if you're claiming that a big chunk of the LGSs are going to go out of business and that Wizards either doesn't care or intent, like literally people have told me today on Twitter that they, they want that to happen. <laughs> like that they're looking for a way to kill the LGSs. And I'm like, as you said earlier, that's free distribution from their perspective. It's not just about selling product. Like people were throwing things in my face, like, well, they sell through Amazon now. Well, yeah, they're, they're going to sell through a lot of different places because after Hasbro got burned by having most of their eggs in one basket vis-a-vis Toys R Us and magic emerged on the other side of that bankruptcy as one of the only brands that stood tall because it wasn't heavily distributed through Toys R Us at all and never has been. Um, You know, Pokemon was and Yu-Gi-Oh selling in in Toys R Us, but not so much magic. There was always just a smattering of it in the store, like to have a minor amount of presence, but, it was never a major sell-through point. And so it, the result of that was Hasbro encouraging Magic to put the pedal to the metal, which is part of how we got where we are right now, with you know, Hasbro top-down saying, we want you to make more money, come up with new product ideas, try new things, sell more premium, go more, do more direct, make more money. So all of the, like, the accusation that Hasbro is selfishly grasping at additional profit, that part's true. Totally true. But the idea that that is being done to intentionally kill the LGS, as opposed to skim off the LGS in a way that they think the LGS will still be able to live through, is my point of differentiation. What I'm saying is going on is that, let's say the LGS... You know, a, a, a strong LGS owner net net everything might clear an extra hundred thousand a year or something. I mean, most LGSs aren't even close, but let's just say that for argument's sake, we're talking about LGS X in a rich suburb outside a major city, and they have good demographics and they've been putting tournaments together three days a week for twenty years. Wizards is basically saying we want to capture 20% of the profit that you currently have extra. That's not going to kill you. It's just going to sting. <laughs> and, and that's what the direct thing is. Like secret layer stuff is them saying, yeah, we're going we're to sell this stuff direct and We're going to get all the money and that we could have given that to you and you could have got part of the margin, but we don't think we need to do it because we believe that you'll survive. And even if their models tell them uh, some of you won't survive, in the current circumstances not because of things like secret layer that's not the real issue it's more about where people are getting their booster boxes right you know, if if presence in walmart and target and amazon and sports and more are selling thousands and thousands of boxes and rudy's patreon selling thousands of boxes per year is pulling people's money out of lgs's that's real that's real too but again that's not wizard saying thinking oh you know we'll, we'll just lean on amazon to drive the brand because Amazon doesn't add to the brand in any other way other than selling you that product, they don't. They don't have any interest on the single side, Amazon directly, other than taking a cut from vendors that sell on Amazon, um, just like TCG or eBay would. But they do have. But the LGSs do have a vested interest in building a community because by building the community, they keep people coming back to buy magic product and if the lgs is well diversified other stuff like it's not even just that if you're accusing wizards of wanting to kill paper magic you're also simultaneously saying that the other products and the other brands that they sell through those stores they also somehow don't want to keep selling like dungeons and dragons just went through a massive renaissance and is peaking at like they've doubled or tripled revenues in the last three years all of those books and and figurines and accessories are all getting sold through the same stores that sell magic for the most part and they're not they're also not looking to kill off that distribution network or any other products they might come up with previously or in the future they 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 want four or 5000 stores worldwide to be selling this stuff on a consistent basis they are going to diversify into these other arenas they have to because that was basically the only responsible thing to do once they learned their lesson from the Toys R Us gig. <laughs> but, they're, but stores still get to sell all the same stuff they used to under increased competitive pressure. And if some of those stores are going to close, you know, people were trying to tell me, I was arguing that it probably wouldn't be more than 5%, but I don't have strong data um, to lean on for that. And most of everybody's arguments are anecdotal. Let's say that it was 20%. Well, does that mean that Magic revenues drop by 20%? Not necessarily. Because if you're in a rich suburb outside a Major City, and there are currently four hobby shops that run Magic tournaments, it's possible that the correct number of stores from Magic's perspective is three, or maybe it's two, in terms of how many stores you need to fully support the number of players in the area that want to be participating in an LGS. It could be that the efficient number, the correct number for the market, That will result in the healthiest set of LGSs and the happiest players is some number lower than that community currently has. So when somebody tells me, you know, three of the four stores in my town have closed, the next thing I want to know is, okay, but did total number of uh, LGS visits drop in the city as a whole? Or did that one big store just absorb everybody else's business? Um so there's a, there's a lot going on there that people need to think a little more deeply about to really wrap their heads around. But the bottom line is, is st- still remains the same. The majority of Magic's revenue is not digital. It's paper and all of the accessories and licensing deals and accoutrement that come from the paper community. Killing off paper magic at the LGS level would also be admittedly saying that they're going to kill off magic fests because you're not going to be able to switch to you need the ability to play weekly, not for everybody, but for some people. I mean, I don't play weekly anymore in my LGS, but I did at one point and it was a big, it was, it was a gateway drug as it were (laughs) to get you from there to the next level. whether that was trying to grind as a competitive player or whether you just wanted to show up at bigger tournaments and and check out a a whole pile of vendors and see some cosplayers or whatever so if you take out the LGS layer your big tournament layer gets worse too because are you implying that PTQs are going to be run if there's no vendors left to run them like the majority of the PTQ circuit is run by people that run mid to large size stores so then your your funneling system for competitive collapses, and people will say, "Oh, well, they just want everybody to play arena." Well, there's some truth to that too, that they do see, they they decided that to justify their adventure with arena, they need to get to a certain number of players, a critical mass, as it were, for their video game, their new video game platform. And I think one of the things that people don't don't understand is that, the business model for Magic Online versus Paper is pretty sweet because they got to run a 1990s video game well into the 2000s. And though it was not cheap to run, their license, they get to leverage a tremendous amount of marketing and intellectual property, um, a huge asset pool, and repurpose it and charge us twice for the same thing. And now with Arena up and running, while people are playing Arena and Magic Online and Paper, they're getting to charge us three times for the same thing. There is no way that the, the long-term game plan is to collapse those three back down to one revenue stream. That's moving in the opposite direction. If they can figure out how to charge us for VR Magic next year, they're going to add a fourth revenue <laughs> stream.
1: Not... <laughs> Stop. VR
0: Magic. I mean, that's the goal. Good VR with Magic the Gathering? go on that'll be that would be amazing if you actually got to like draw the mana out of the land and then cast the spell in first person could be an awesome game but there's they're they're greedy man like i do respect <laughs> the 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 capitalist dynamic that comes out of a publicly traded company like hasbro and everyone else should too they're not looking to reduce revenue streams and they don't actually they're not actually diluted enough to believe that they can trend like transition into being a video game company, Hasbro. I've said this a million times. Has no digital DNA. All of the digital side, esports side, um, tournament management side, talent that they brought in in the last few years came from outside the organization, and definitely has left an imprint on how they're managing competitive play. But the business model for Arena is significantly worse than magic online from the perspective that you can grind arena without having to spend any money and so the average revenue per user is lower and the average cost to acquire a user is still high and you really need to be spreading those digital costs out over the revenue you're generating on the paper side in short they can't afford to lose paper they absolutely must have paper magic
1: i agree with that that's that's really the um the main thing that, that people seem to be missing out on like if paper dies and paper can't die like there it just at this point there are too many people that are too invested in all kinds of stuff and i'm always reassured by the presence of people still playing the star wars tcg making their own expansions uh, if magic if wizards close tomorrow Uh, I would still be able to live the rest of my life going around the country and asking people to play their cubes. So I'm not worried about paper dying in such a climactic way, um, even if the absolute worst case things happened in all circumstances. It's just that none none of
0: these suspicions about where we're headed are rooted in the reality of what Hasbro was telling their investors. They're talking about Magic as a flagship brand. They're talking about it as an expansion brand where they want to pour more money into it. They want to, they've talked about doubling the team in the next few years, <coughs> a lot of which will certainly go to digital. because. But people are looking at that completely the wrong way. Arena is not the replacement for paper. It's an attempt to get critical mass on a video game to justify what they spent on it and set it up so they can finally turn off Magic Online. And go down to one streamlined digital digital product as the flagship on the digital side, that lets them have a two way um, funnel where arena people that start with arena end up playing some paper, and people that play paper try out arena here and there. And if they all goes well, some percentage of them will do both on a regular basis. But the idea that they want you to play arena at home and then occasionally go to a GP, but no longer go to a store, I don't buy that for a second. Nor do I. The arena experience is not enough of the gathering. And if you don't understand that one of the reasons this brand has never faltered in any major way, like compared to something like sports cards or comics, Magic has never had a massive trough that lasted for any significant period of time. Um, Or something like Transformers, where they had made billions of dollars, but it was in three big chunks of time. And in between, they almost sold nothing. Um, Magic's been consistent because it is ultimately a social game. And even on, you know, on online, people bemoan on Arena that they don't have real eight person draft yet. They don't want to draft against bots. They want to draft against real people. They want to feel like they are playing with real people. People that play commander would love to have a better online commander experience. Because they would build more more of a community online, they would play more Commander, but they would still want to play in person.
1: Commander online so this... sucks. I'm I know there are a lot of people who like to play uh, Commander online, and um, it's really great to have something automatically manage your tokens and your counters. Sure, but uh, man, I, I got to say, as as really uh, somebody who um, doesn't play constructed like I'm limited and uh, commander, like commander online does nothing for me, and I would rather have mm-hmm. a mediocre in-person experience than a than the best experience online could offer me. But that's me. I recognize that's me.
0: Yeah. So I mean, some of the smarter comments I saw on social this week through a variety of like portions of carrying through on this debate um, with, with various people were that the people that recognized that the LGS and competitive, the LGS and its relationship with competitive magic is changing. So the the idea of the LGS of being the funnel to the pro tour is certainly under assault. And (laughs) much the same way that magic fests are evolving to be more about the gathering and less about the main event. You know, there's a lot of, gps this year that had less than stellar numbers but when you talk to people about how popular the side events were you got a different a slightly different picture you know there were there were gps where maybe the two years ago they would have had a thousand people but this year they only had 600 but maybe that's because they had the command zone area set up and people were playing commander all weekend
1: yeah that's it it's such terrible value to play in a grand prix um especially if you like if you grind up for it and you train for it, it it's a lot of fun to, to go for the the big event, but it is incredibly difficult. It is a ton of money. Like a limited Grand Prix is going to set you back around a hundred bucks right now, just so you can go uh, three three drop. And the value on the side events. Um, uh, you remember uh, when we were together in Vegas two years ago? I had my big ass sign mm-hmm. for cube drafting, and that was. Just pure unfiltered value all weekend.
0: Yep. Exactly. Well and that's the thing, is that I think that the LGS the the successful LGSs are gonna be the ones that get a liquor license or open a coffee shop and sell some sandwiches in the store and transition to more of the like um higher class total hobby experience where Tuesday nights is your, you know, D and D night. Monday night is X-Wing. You've got three nights of Magic and or Pokemon and or Yu-Gi-Oh! And you're organizing PTQs every once in a while. It's the, the stores that... And you've got a big selection of board games. You know, you're, you're riding all of the trends at the same time. And you're managing your inventory well. You're managing your overhead well. And that's not going to be every store. <laughs> I, hear, I still, to this day, hear, get people that message me and say, I'm going to open an LGS. I've got 20,000 squirreled away. And I always have the same conversation. I say, don't do it. <laughs> you don't have the asset pool necessary to do it safely. You, you're going to end up buying a bunch of inventory, spending a little bit on advertising, hoping, o- opening a Twitter account, and then trying to like throwing your shingle out and hoping people walk in the store and six months later, you're going to be in massive debt that you will have trouble recovering from.
1: Well, are right, you just Mr. Sunshine? I mean, you're right, but um, I can understand. Well, I think that like, I, a I lot of people, is... <clears throat> a lot of people think that what all they need to do is improve on the mistakes that their local store is making, and that they can um, take it off from there. And perhaps you're right that all that they could do some combination of what you have going on, but they're there are a lot of hurdles, and um, being a good magic player does not make you a, a wise business person.
0: One of the things I think that has contributed to some of this is that real estate in the Midwest in the U.S. is relatively cheap. So to get rent a mini get a lease in a mini mall or something is significantly easier than it would be in say. Italy or Germany or France. And I think that's a big reason, big part of why Commander isn't as popular in Europe as it is in North America, because real estate is more expensive. So uh, you see, uh, there are way more vendors in Europe that don't have a retail presence at all. Like if you check it, like look at all the MCM vendors, thousands of them. But the total number of stores, like if I ever ask somebody, like, okay, I'm going to X country in Europe, where should I go? It's usually a relatively small number of stores um there's usually only two or three super significant ones that anybody will point to and say yeah this is like a reliable place with like a deep inventory of singles where you can catch a game a few nights a week um you know i was in istanbul and and turkey and they only had that's a huge city one of the biggest in the world and they only had two magic stores of any consequence so I think there is that there are a lot of people that have opened stores because it seemed cheaper than it really is. When you should really have like half a million to a, a million dollars to even consider trying to run this kind of business. Um, otherwise, you're you're much better off becoming an online vendor. You know, you get being you can still run a buy list through things like Cardsphere or whatever, um, but you could just be flipping secret layer bundles for plus 50 dollars in a week and skipping the overhead which is a big a big part of what mtg finance as a discipline has opened up as an option for players
1: i was gonna say um or you could just listen to what we do and uh make your money that way and run a delightful little collection and keep everything going and it'll be wonderful
0: all right so i've blown through half an hour on this um to summarize (laughs) paper magic paper magic is not dying but it will change the lgs network is not going to die outright but it could easily be the fat could be trimmed Um, and especially if we're heading into a recession next year there could be some pain um but wizards needs to sell physical magic to keep the brand rolling they are heavily obligated to pursue that line Um, and it seems very unlikely that without dedicated retail presence, the brand will have anywhere near the community building value that it does in the presence of 5,000 LGSs. They have fulfilled a very important function for a quarter century, and it is super unlikely that they are just going to disappear this year. Agreed. All right. So what else do we have on the agenda
1: this week? Uh, Well, we've got some top movers to talk about, Uh, some results of uh, the cabal of MTG Finance at work and some just market pressures. We've got some picks from you and I and from uh, one of our readers. And then we've got segment three. Uh, We can talk about uh, the new Pioneer metagame after the bans. And oh, look, there was Bannings in Pioneer again. But luckily, we're done with that for at least until the new year.
0: All right, so let's uh, plow on through the top movers relatively quickly here. We've got uh, the first sliver out of Modern Horizons, non-foils going from, in theory, $8 to $9. It's only a dollar, but it's a 15% jump. The only reason I'm putting it on the list uh, is because DJ called it out on Brainstorm Brewery, I think two weeks ago, um, and I suspect that accounts for most of the motion here. Um, uh, A little bit of it, though, is also probably that there's a sweet sliver card in the Kaleidoscope Killers deck which might be getting people to build Slivers for Commander this month. Um, and First Sliver is an auto-include there. So between the two factors, uh, a nice little bump, but I wouldn't expect it to explode. The inventory is still pretty deep.
1: I don't think I've seen a Sliver deck that didn't have Sliver Overlord as its commander, although I would I would want to listen if you wanted to do the First Sliver, but Overlord is just so good. And that's why it was in the Secret Lair, I suppose.
0: Yeah, so next card is a Secret Layer card, indeed. Life from the Loam out of Secret Layer, uh, moving from 15 to 19 for about a 26% gain. <laughs> the reality is that the bundles all sold and are selling pretty well online. Um, the individual uh, sets are still in the shipping pipeline um, because some of them are not going to arrive, I would guess, until January. Uh, because, I, as we said last week, I think what Wizards probably did was pub, you know, pre print something like 10,000 of each set, and knowing that they would probably sell about that many based on past experiences with Mythic Edition and so forth. Um, and then they went back to a just in time press run to fill in whatever gaps were necessary on, on the rest of the sales. So, <laughs> what that means is we're not at peak supply yet for Secret Layer cards. And I think this is a very good time to be selling because inventory has not flooded the market yet. Um, so most of the sets, the individual sets, are selling at a premium on eBay right now in TCG Player. Um, the bundles certainly are. There are some good opportunities to arbitrage overseas. And I think I would I re- strongly recommend that once you get your hands on yours, you get it the getting is good. Um, not the least reason to which is that there are two complaints that are starting to float around on social about these sets. One is that you can open the uh, glued side of the sealed sets, check what the Planeswalker is, swap it or whatever, and then close it back up and sell it as though you never opened it. Yeah,
1: I saw that video too.
0: Um, and it looks so easy to do that people will do it. Um I would be tempted to list them. If I started to see friction along those lines, I would just start selling it with opened with the planes lock, Planeswalker alongside it and try to get full value. Um, with Kaleidoscope Killers, I'm just going to open until I hit either Teferi or Bolas, sell those singles, and then sell the rest sealed, because um, I ordered six of those. And probably decent chance of hitting at least one of the two, given the, I think five or six or maybe six or seven there's, multicolored planeswalkers that could be in that
1: right i think you have a uh, there's six of them and uh teferi and bolus are indeed the big wins
0: yeah and since they're both clustered in cladis killers that the, and the three other cards in that set are well positioned for longer term gains that's a pretty solid place to be um but yeah i just get out get out get out on secret layer it was such a a gift to the MPG finance community at the end of the year to just be able to go in early on that, flip the tickets to Magic Online, flip the arena code if you got the chance, and then you know flip the bundles and/or the sets. Um, the other complaint that I'm hearing about though is that all of the cards involved, both the stained glass planeswalkers and the uh, set cards, are uh, prone to warping. Uh, looks like much much in the same way as FTV cards tend to warp. Um, so I don't recommend taking the stained glass planeswalkers out of their airtight, uh, packages. I would put those directly into a hard case. And if you open, uh, the secret layer bundles or the sets, make sure that you sleeve those up and put them in hard cases as well so that you can minimize the warping.
1: I'm for that. Um, getting back to our list, uh, next up is city of brass, the foil in seventh edition has gone from about 200 to $300. Uh, it's got everything you'd want for a random increase like this. It's a foil from 7th edition, which already has a premium. Uh, City of Brass only has one or two editions in foil. And uh, it doesn't take many of these to make a big change like this. There's probably sold two or three copies to make a move like this.
0: They've also more or less committed to printing mana confluence in this slot from now on. They like the templating better, so City of Brass might just never see another foil reprint. No, I can't um, psychic
1: venom people for four damage, three venom I not even forget <laughs> what how much that is, but yeah, let's move on. The thing the thing is I would normally not even
0: let something like this slide on the list because it can sometimes with these kind of cards it can just be that there was a listing where somebody undercut the market heavily on TCG player, then that listing sold, and so it looks like it jumped up again but i checked and there are in fact 300 copies that have sold on ebay in the last month so um one way or the other it's worth noting that it is solidly holding
1: 300. well it's just a wonderful thing to find in your old bulk
0: box yeah uh scorn score next on the list out of dragons of tarkir foils from 11.50 to 18 noticeable because notable because last week we saw it go from 3 to 11.50 so this is now 3 to 18 in two weeks Uh, which is like plus 500% and change. Um, Pretty impressive for an uncommon uh, that was widely ignored, Uh, but people are running it in uh, Niv-Mizzet decks and other dragon-focused decks in Pioneer uh, and Modern, and I don't see this card getting reprinted anytime soon. No, it's
1: it's a real dragon-specific mechanic, and you might see it uh, if we get one of the Commander 2020 products is dragon-focused, uh that's the only place i might even possibly worry about it but it's more like if you've got it sell this thing right now find somebody who can take it off your hands for uh, put on ebay tcg whatever you need to do and get what you can and get out
0: i would guess that icoria being godzilla land there will be a big dragon commander in there
1: i don't think they need another you know what yes there will be more big there will always be more big dragons Will they be yeah. blue? Though is the better question.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, next on the list, Hawatli, the Sun's Heart, out of Secret Lair. This is the plain, stained glass planeswalker version of a fairly underrated planeswalker. Went from nine to fifteen, and this is on the back, not on. I think there being massive demand for Watly, although the art does look amazing uh, for this particular card in stained glass, but because very few singles have popped up on TCG Player since they started landing in players' hands. that says a couple things. A, a lot of them are delayed, as we mentioned earlier. And B, um, a lot of the people that receive them don't seem to be interested in selling them.
1: I mean, it's a a bonus. Uh, We were talking about this a little bit (laughs) before the cast. Whatever you get, you know, I got my Kaleidoscope Killers and it had a Storms Conduit. Great, I got an extra $5 card. I didn't get the Teferi for 80-odd, but I still got an extra $5 card and so th- yep. it's just free and not everybody is going to want to run and sell them so this makes a lot of sense it looks cool um i i know that we have a lot of choices when it comes to our war of the spark planeswalkers but still i mean you might not have won this before but now you have it you put it in your binder and you say check out what i've got and you might trade it to somebody who really wants it but it's just a cool bonus that i'm really really glad they told us about before uh secret lair w- went off sale
0: i mean the handling of that uh, is a whole other topic um
1: we don't but... yeah we don't need any extra topics but this the short version is thank god they told us that there were these planeswalkers in there because somebody said oh wait <laughs> this is a bad idea
0: And the stained glass planeswalkers are in shorter supply now than I think they will be in a month. so so. Um, Frenetic sliver out of planar chaos, foils from 6 to 13. This is on the back of uh, probably the uh, first sliver um, and sliver overlord uh, action. Um, Slivers were moving as early as May, I want to say, when they were rumored to be included in Modern Horizons. We were buying up foils. Um, they've been a slow, steady seller for me all year. I think uh, we saw Sliver Queen spike over 200 at one point. I sold some in that price range. Um, and pretty much all... I, I kind of went shallow, but on a broad selection of Foil Slivers, maybe in June. And they've sold like one or two a week since then. They've been pretty solid. Um, not particularly surprised to see Frenetic join the ranks. Um this next one's all you, brother.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, Soulfire Grandmaster out of Fate Reforged foils started the week around twelve dollars and finished around twenty-eight. Uh, two weeks ago, I said you should buy this card. I believe I listed it at uh, seven fifty was where we were finding copies two weeks ago. So hopefully, you listened to the cast and you bought some. Uh, I don't think it finished in anything. Do you like? Do I have this kind of ungodly power, James? Is this? Is this what you've wrought by bringing me on back, finally? When when
0: you called it, it was in the correct position for speculation, which is to say that other people had already bought most of the foil inventory. Fate Reforged is the only foil printing of this card. It was a mythic, um, largely ignored while it was available for play. It got played like in Jeskai Black and Standard for a while, and that was about it. Um, so not easy to for the market to resupply these. but there isn't a major deck that is driving this that is doing super well. So I like very much selling anywhere near this new price point if you were in at Cliff's
1: number. Yes, if you bought it and you can flip it for 10-something or 15-something in store credit, I advocate doing so and move on to your next uh, lovely target. Uh, This last one I don't think I could get through without dying of laughter, so James, this is on you.
0: The reality is, this card's doing a lot of work.
1: <laughs> I, I, I cannot handle this card being this. Just say it. Just say it.
0: Ar- Arboreal Grazer out of War of the Spark is the big mover of the week. 350 to 10 on foils. This is a common out of War of the Spark. Uh, up 185% this week because not only was this doing work alongside uh, Field of the Dead decks and uh, Wilderness Reclamation Nexus of Fate decks. It's also it also shows up in a bunch of the post banning decks. <laughs> after Field of the Dead and Ogo were banned out of Pioneer, you're still seeing Grazer being played. So this is the kind of card that you always overlook in, during spoiler season. I would never have thought to go after these. I would never have thought these foils would be worth anything, especially now that you know post War the Spark all foils are 50 percent more populous overall. So foil commons are even less attractive. But we've seen foil plenty of examples more than a, de- a handful of both foil Commons and uncommons from this year doing very well in recent weeks
1: I I didn't know that it was as popular as it is all over the place and I am stunned that the little o3 that does your mana acceleration is is ready to go you know imagine if War elves was an o3 only you could st- you could use the mana every turn and it would stay untapped it seems It's better than it seems, I suppose, and I'll have to keep this in mind going forward.
0: Yep, that's a good point. All right, so moving on to our cards to watch this week. We've got uh, three picks from me, two from Cliff, and one from a user whose name we did not write down properly. So we'll have to track this person down once they identify themselves and direct me to the conversation I had where they recommended this card. Uh, We'll start off with mine, though. in my research, looking at what might be good in Pioneer um, coming out of the Bannings, uh, I tripped over Master of Waves. Um, I got a big pile of these, and I was looking them up for the purposes of deciding whether I was going to buy list them, and I realized that the buy list was pretty solid. It um, was going to be profitable, but it was one of the things I check on when the buy list looks really good and has risen recently is check how close it is to market price on TCG because when buy list is neck and neck with market, it suggests that the vendor is selling them so frequently that they believe that another plateau was coming. So if, if CK wants to give me $5 for this and it's $5 on TCG, it means CK thinks they're gonna be able to get 10 to 12 for them. Um, and if they can get 10 to 12, maybe I can too. So non-foil master waves, uh, $5 to $10, call it six to 12 months, but it could be sooner. Buy list has jumped from three to four seventy five in the last month. Mono blue is super viable in Pioneer. Foils at eleven are basically sold out, so you can take your pick. Foils or non foils, both seem like a reasonable choice. Um, I really don't see this getting reprinted anytime soon. There's no product on the horizon where that makes sense, and we are about to hit Theros and get a bunch of new devotion cards, which could easily make the devotion decks uh, better in Pioneer.
1: I think I've written about this in the past six months, but. Um... A lot of the times that you see this pop up, uh, the deck is just touching blue just to get some Risen Reefs in there because Risen Reef plus uh, Master of Elemental, you jump up and do the biggest uh, dab you've ever seen because you're going to get at least two more Elemental triggers if you had nothing else on the board and it really gets out of hand and I'm a big fan of this pick. I, I agree with you completely. Uh, my first pick this week is a mythic out of Thorn of Eldraine is Realm Cloak Giant. You can get it for two bucks. You can actually go a little cheaper Playsets are selling for like $7 on eBay. Um, right now, the wrath effects are really uh, Time Wipe and Kaya's Wrath, depending on what flavor of deck you're running. Both of those will rotate uh, when War of the Spark rotates. I'm planning about a 12-month uh, flip on this. But it being a mythic, uh, and the, the sweet versions, the storybook versions, are getting soaked up by uh, other uh, vendors. So there's uh, going to be just a lot of the regular ones to go around. And this might be the wrath of choice for a control deck, since it's a wrath and a finisher. Control decks love that sort of thing. So two to eight in about a year
0: couple of points on this one. Oh boy. Firstly, you got to give yourself credit that this is actually a dollar card because you can get this for 99 cents on TCG with dollar shipping. So if you get if you want to go in on 20 copies of this, you're going to pay dollar cost average about a dollar mm, 5 or something. Dollar mythic. So I'm going to so put you at a dollar here. And in my opinion, a dollar to 8 is greedy. Dollar to $4.5, I'd be a little bit more on board with. I'm very skeptical that this card is going to see play. And these kind of specs where it's like, well, currently without knowing the next thousand cards that will be printed, (laughs) we don't have any other wraths. True. But how often do we not get another wrath in that interim, given that they know that the format will generally need one. However, I will grant you at least this much. There's probably a bunch of giants in Theros. We've already seen a couple. Um, i don't know how many or how good they are you would need some pretty great giant tribal to get me more excited because then this is a one-sided wrath which is certainly more exciting adventure cards have been shown to be better than people expected them to be um bone giant murderous rider fay of wishes brazen borrower are all exceeding expectations um it could be that this realm Clove giant is overlooked it is a mythic that you can get for a dollar all that's nice, but I, I want to see the use case. This is the kind of card that, show me two excellent giants that are definitely going to see standard play, and one of them might show up in Pioneer, and maybe I care about this. The buy list support, not super high. I no, think that not right now. <laughs> I would guess that Realm Cloaked is probably something like 25 cents on buy list. Yeah. Just double check that uh you're talking for pack version 34 cents um the art on the showcase is quite nice but there's just too much inventory on this card i'm all about supply side specs and i want to see a big inventory drain because this card did some work and surprised people on camera and be in a position to mop up 20 copies in europe or something for a dollar when they're asleep and they don't see the top eight get posted
1: fair enough i uh i respect your opinion on that we I, I actually you mentioned the uh the giants uh i'm i would love to build a deck just waiting to just go creature creature and then cast off and just wreck face that sounds like my kind of my kind of gig
0: <laughs> all right so my next pick is niv mizzet reborn foils out of war of the spark give this confidence level of an eight call it 12 plus months to get there Currently available at about 12 bucks, I think they can get to 20 pretty easily, because this is again a mythic, and it's from the pre-core 2020 era where foils were less populous. Um, overshadowed by the tremendous amount of great planeswalkers and other good cards that came out of War of the Spark. Um, but has been doing work all year in uh Modern and Pioneer and EDH. Um, the foils already are setting up with a solid ramp. There's a very low chance of resupply. Nobody has any reason to be opening lots of boxes of war at this point. Um, and if it was good enough to be consistently 5-0-ing in Modern, it's certainly good enough in Pioneer. And I, I see no reason why this card doesn't slowly inch its way up into the $20-plus range for foils.
1: This is my Brawl deck online, and it is fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I'm for it. Uh, I think uh, it's already a, a good card worth playing, and uh, the commander demand, I think, is is a real thing because you can build around this so that every time you cast your commander, you're going to hit three or four cards uh, on the suboptimal side, whereas uh, I know a guy who's optimizing his deck so that uh, he's got four of each of the guild colors, so that he's got a chance to do like a ten for ten. So uh, he's an optimist, but the the, pe- the pick is solid.
0: Alrighty, what about your next pick?
1: My other pick is a uh, commander card uh, unbound flourishing, the mythic out of modern horizons. Uh, right now you can get it for around fifteen dollars. It uh, basically doubles everything. I'm sorry, did I not say foils? I uh, foils. Foils are around $15. Uh, this doubles everything with an X. So if you paid X, uh, you get you act as though you paid twice X. If you did an effect with X, copy that effect. Um, I think with a year of good commander cards coming, uh, we're going to see some things that we really want to double up with. It's already in a 1,000 decks on EDH REC. And uh, looking at the stock, there's only 58 uh copies on tcg that are near mint and there isn't like anybody with a whole bunch of them it's a bunch of ones and twos
0: i picked up some of these in non-foil in the summer real cheap from one of the european vendors that the pro traders work with um, and i suspect it's going to be a year to a two-year hold um, and then it's going to end up being a buy play i do like the ramp on these foils they need 30 or 40 copies need to drain and compared to other cards that came out this year, um, you know most of the good cards, say from War of the Spark, are in five, six, seven thousand EDH rack decks. So a thousand's not super exciting, but this is a this is a very niche and specific card. So given a long enough time horizon and the fact that it's a mythic from a premium set with only a single printing, and Sales of Modern Horizons, I think we can all agree, are probably dead as a doornail.
1: Yeah, you can still uh, get boxes are... super cheap. I, I'm surprised at the number of 180 boxes I see online.
0: Well, not a, well because it's been in print all year. It that was always the plan, but because it's been in, it's it was not ever scheduled to go out of print until I think next May or something. Um, I, I don't think Modern Horizons is going back. It is in fact going back to the presses, and that's interesting. Because cards like this that might have taken longer, let me give you this scenario. If they had not announced Pioneer, and if Modern was in a really good place, then Modern Horizons cards would be doing extremely well right now. Like we would already be cashing out on the top 20 or 25 of them, um, other than Hogak, clearly. <laughs> um, and car- but cards like this as a result would take longer because more of them would get opened and be unneeded. Cards that are four-ofs in Modern that were coming out of Modern Horizons would be absorbed much faster than the car, the cards at the same rarity that the EDH player only needs a single copy of because they are not uh, cross-commander ubiquitous. They are specific to a, a very specific kind of deck um, with a specific kind of commander. So I think it's actually good for cards like Unbound Flourishing that Modern Horizons is probably not selling well because it means that it doesn't go back to the presses for another trip which means that there is less of it overall printed than might otherwise have been the case. And that would help explain why the foil inventory is not super shallow, but it's not that deep either. There's 55 listings. Nobody really has more than two or three copies. Most vendors only have one. Card Rush has 10, but they want 28 a piece for those. So what that says to me is that the people that, the experienced vendors with the deeper inventory, if they're at the top end of the the price tier, they're exp- they're selling them fast enough that they think that those are going to the ones below them that are undercutting them are going to evaporate within the next say six to twelve months. So I, I don't rank Unbound Flourishing as a super high high priority target, but I can believe that if you want it, this is probably about as low as it gets. And if you want to pick up a few extra copies and hold them for a couple of years, you're probably be all right.
1: Yeah, I think Modern Horizons is mostly at the if-you-might-want-it-you-should-get-it price. Uh, That that seems true all the way around, and uh, I do especially like this last pick of yours.
0: So, people were bugging me to pick Emery Lurker of the Lock. Uh, Three or four different pro traders uh, tried to make that their pick, and I rebuffed all of them on the basis that the non-foil pack version of emery is just in ridiculously plentiful supply it is full-on at peak supply there's hundreds and hundreds of copies out there in the marketplace because of this focus shift from modern where emery was fairly important puzzle piece in the urza decks to pioneer where it doesn't really have a deck yet i fully believe it will have a deck and its edh shops are just obvious so, Emory long term, like give it a three to four year horizon, slam dunk. At some point, you definitely want to own 100 copies, like non foil copies of Emory. But I think for now, if you're looking for something that's on a more midterm horizon, take a look at the non foil extended art version of Emory, which is a much smaller supply pool. You can pick them up in the like 10 to $12 range with like a coupon um, or depending on where you're shopping. And then there's a ramp that's pretty steady up into the $15, $16, $17, $18, $20 range. And I would guess that give this 18 months, this, these are probably $20 to $25. So you're looking for a double up in that period. And in the meantime, you've got a gorgeous set of Emery's. Because Emery is one of the extended arts that looks... Well said. So, yeah. Emery extended art. Target, 12 Get off the train somewhere between twenty and twenty-five, and it could be doing all right. Um, all right, so moving along to our Discord uh, Pro Trader Pick of the Week. I'm not. I'm so sorry. I I know I had this conversation, but we had like fifty submissions this week, so um, I lost track of the specific conversation where this came out of. And I think it was actually from last week's picks. But even with all the good stuff that people tabled this week, this jumped out at me as being something that is primed to take off sooner rather than later i think it's the sharpest timeline of any of the things here and i'm no longer scared that the stained glass version is going to hold it back i'm talking about jace wielder of mysteries the japanese foil version out of war of the spark i give this the highest i think it's pick of the week to be honest in terms of the likelihood that it's going to get there within say six months going from you can get it about 40 dollars right now maybe 35 on social media or with a coupon um, or a discount from the pro trader uh, uh, vendor partners 40 to 60 say a 50 percent gain minus fees in a 6 to 12 month range at the outside seems very likely to me there's only 13 listings left on tcg for these it's a massive edh card uh, 7 decks or something six or seven thousand decks on edh rec which suggests that 100k people are playing with the card and The stained glass version is also going to be in demand and I think it's going to be a solid target uh, whenever it hits peak supply bottom in the next 30 days. Um, But there are so few, relatively speaking, of the Japanese anime versions versus the stained glass left in the market that I don't expect the stained glass to slow this one down at all. Mm -hmm. So I think it's whoever's pick it was. I think it's a rock solid pick. Just on me loving the supply side specs where there's a nice steep ramp and if you buy three or four copies, you're going to be the next person has to pay six bucks more than you is exactly the kind of place I want to be.
1: I'm pretty much in on the uh, the the Japanese planeswalkers are pretty amazing right now. And uh, I don't see the stained glass making much of a dent in their price uh, one little bit for those people that might be worried about it. Uh, it is different and it is a replacement and you will find the card style that you like and the card will go up if the card sees a lot of play. It's not just about the collectability of the thing.
0: The other the other thing about the stained glass is if we draw attention to this version and people buy ten copies, then all of a sudden the stained glass version is looking really nice <laughs> because <laughs> it no longer has any competition from there. this version because they're at different price tiers.
1: There is indeed a whole uh, cascading chain of uh, price dominoes that will fall on stuff like this. So the new Nicol Bolas uh, version is going to be an, at war with the uh, Japanese uh, foil version, which is going to be competing with the SDCC version. And then you've got your original, so it's just craziness all SECC around. Lose, SECC loses pretty hard. It battle. does. It, it, it is a very different look for the card than everything else. I love white text on a black background i always will i i will always be for that like white on black not the um old planeswalkers of foil on black which were unreadable
0: sure um all right so let's move on to the metagame week in review we want to take a look at what's happening in pioneer post the bands uh so we're gonna take a look there was a Pioneer Preliminary, which I'm assuming was a qualifier for an online PTQ. Yes. Um, would be my guess. And there was some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, we were talking earlier about Arboreal Grazer. And in this case, what we're actually talking about is a Lotus Field combo deck. One of my picks a couple weeks ago was Foil Lotus Fields in and around $10. Um, this card's going to get busted. <laughs> it's a hexproof land that makes three, color, three mana a reusable black lotus. So this deck is using hidden strings of all things out of Gate Crash, I believe. Yes. To tap and untap the Lotus Field multiple times in a turn. And then it has a bunch of uh, fork effects like double cast and expansion explosion. They run two RAL Storm Conduit as well. And then the setup is with the the hidden strings and the Vizier of Tumbling Sands can both untap permanence. And you've got Arboreal Grazer to ramp a little bit. You've got Dig Through Time to find your pieces to finish things off. Growth Spile doing a little ramp. Sylvan Scrying doing a little ramp. Um, Quite the deck. And I'm not entirely sure how this deck wins. Do they just cast the Explosion side of Expansion Explosion to finish things off?
1: Um, I think so. You can also... um... We might not be looking at the exact same deck. I'm looking at the G-Goggles version that uh, looks more um, Fae of Wishes wishboard to go get Jace to win it all. Um, Oh, that's a different deck, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways you can build this. Um, A lot of these decks are trying to build up to Omniscience uh, and then Enter the Infinite and then Jace and then Thanks for Playing. Yeah. There, yeah, like you said, if your Lotus Field can come down on turn two, uh, thanks to uh, your Arboreal Grazer, if you've got uh, two extra mana floating around from those two lands, you might be able to start it off and win it on turn two. That's unlikely, but certainly possible. See, the thing that's nice about
0: this is if you compare this to like a Jeskai Ascendancy type brew, they can Assassin's Trophy or Abrupt Decay the Ascendancy. But this thing has Hexproof.
1: And it's a land, and you can't,
0: yeah. So and you can't wrath it with a because it's a land.
1: You can't so even feel to you ruin have to, it. So,
0: so you have to have very specific <laughs> answers to what's going on, um, and that could set this up as a uh, you know a dominant combo deck for a time. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye on it and see if it, it continues to do well. Um, Blue white control looked like one of the big winners coming out of the bans this week. was already doing well in recent tournaments and these you know 10 planeswalker lists that have some combination of jaces narsets and both big and small teferi have me looking a lot harder at teferi hero dominaria i think i chewed up uh several hundred dollars worth of ck credit last week uh scooping some mythic edition big teferis uh great commander card really don't see it uh, being something that gets banned in Pioneer. And I think it's very unlikely that a format can survive if you have to nerf your blue-white controller. Uh,
1: also worth mentioning, Supreme Verdict is pretty much the best Wrath in the format. It is in, in most formats, but there's no like competing Wrath of God because you have to make sure you get out from uh, the name of card cards. So, it, it's a lot of uh, Supreme Verdicts, and being able to verdict um, is amazing. Uh, you, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen afterwards. Uh, I like that a lot of these are running one or two Heart of uh, Kiran. Uh, that's a card I'm always happy to see doing well. Um, there's a lot of supreme verdict, supreme, supreme
0: verdict foils are very well positioned going into next year. And I think that we're going to see growth with both Teferi, big and small Teferi um, foils as well, and non-foils, because they're going to continue to do work in multiple formats.
1: (coughs) Uh, For those of you that have never played with a land that makes token creatures, um, Castle Ardenvale, do not sleep on how good that is when they lay it down on the table across from you. You will lose games to this stupid card. Um, I don't think there's a real buy opportunity there, but any kind of dude ranch land just makes my uh, old school heart just grow two sizes to remembering, uh, you know, when I can capsize things and then make a dude on my Keljorn outpost. Uh, All right. Are...
0: You know what though? You know what? I think we've misspoken. What? These results don't look like they're post ban. One, one of these decks is a wilderness reclamation deck that has Nexus of Fate in it. Um, oh, I see some little... oko. Yeah. Yeah. they got the Banhammer. So, sorry guys, this is, I guess this was the last event that they captured on December 16th that was um, pre, uh, pre-ban ban result implementation. Um, so I guess the, the focus here has to be on looking at which decks survive, and I think that Nexus of Fate Wilderness Reclamation does not survive. <laughs> good <laughs> so, guess, good guess. But, Wilderness Reclamation foils are now waiting around for a Sam Black-style Sultai Spells Brew um, to rear its head in Pioneer, I suppose. Um, But these blue-white decks, uh, one of the reasons we didn't notice up front is because the blue-white decks aren't running anything that got banned. Um, Here's another take on blue Jeskai control. 17 Planeswalkers. Fires of on attention? the back of yes yeah so two chandra torch of defiance one Elspeth, Sun's champion one gideon of the trials two jace architect of thought Four narset parter of veils three big teferi four small teferi three fea wishes three deafening clarion three supreme verdict two hard two detention sphere and four fires of vengeance this deck looks all kinds of fun i could completely see myself pulling that out for an fnm night
1: I am scared of getting in on some version of Fires of Invention on the back of this. Like even um, our supply has got to be ridiculous on TCG right now. Well, the,
0: the play with Fires when I called it weeks ago was Extended Arts for sure. Extended Arts and Extended Art
1: Foils. Right. Let's see, fires But
0: one of the things I think is interesting here is we've seen a much greater number of Planeswalkers per deck in both Modern and Pioneer in 2019 than any year prior. Very uncommon to see more than four Planeswalkers in most Modern decks. You know, Jun classically running some combination of either Liliana of the Veil vale or once Liliana of the Last Hope arrived, sometimes it was a split but they were still usually never almost never running more than five planeswalkers. So, to see these planeswalker decks that are running a quarter of their deck as planeswalkers, given that a lot of these planeswalkers that did, weren't from where the spark are mythics, um puts you puts the market in a strange position where planeswalkers didn't really make people a lot of money outside of the top 5 for a long time. A lot of planeswalkers just kind of get printed didn't really do anything in standard, didn't really do anything anywhere else. Solid casual and EDH cards. They end up riding binders and store shelves for a long time and don't really make it show any significant price movement. But if you get enough of these decks in a couple of different formats that are making use heavy use of mythic planeswalkers, you could start to see some of the ones that didn't get multiple printing start to drain pretty hard.
1: Alright, I'm looking at T C G Player at Player's of Invention. And uh, did you pull it up? I want you to tell me first. Yeah, I've Okay. I'm looking
0: at extended arts. All
1: right. So I was really surprised. I thought the numbers would be a lot higher. Um, like the, the near mint foils, there's only uh, 36 of them and starting around 17 and the non foils like $5 for the extended art non foil seems pretty hard to argue with. And that ramps up pretty quick uh, into the eight to nine, $10 range.
0: I think we can just recall this as an honorary spec. I like both of those sets of numbers. Um, Fires of Invention extended art foils at seventeen seem ridiculous. The, the card's going to see a ton of play. It's a good EDH card too. So
1: mm, EDH likes a lot a bit more interaction. Uh, let's see. We go to seventeen by the first page. We're at twenty. Uh, we're still at twenty three And the third page. Yeah, we're we're doing pretty good, and there's no price wall to be seen all the singles somebody has three
0: so i would expect uh, there'll, there'll be a fires deck for sure because nothing in this deck got banned so this this deck is fully intact um
1: oh interplanar of... beacon is so good in this stupid deck you're gonna gain yeah. 20 life off of one or two copies
0: um another deck that catches my eye is there's the green red adventure deck that has, it's pretty aggro. That has four Born, Bonecrusher Giant, four Elvish Mystic, four Gore Clan Rampager, four Goblin Rabble Master, two Legion Warboss, four Lanawar Elves, four Lovestruck Beast. Might be time to look at, at some point, Foil uh, Showcase Lovestruck Beast because the card consistently shows up in different kinds of Pioneer and Modern lists. So it's probably better than people thought. Um, and then they. This deck rides with two Domri Rad and three Embercleave and one Heart of Kieran. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect that some version of like green-red aggro value will continue to exist in the format. Uh, mono Black can't be fully co- counted out yet. There are versions going around that uh, don't have access to four co- copies of Smuggler's Copper, obviously, but have filled the gaps with other cards that went four and one in this event. And I guess we will, that's most of the four, one plus decks. Um, so a lot of blue white control, a lot of Lotus field combo, a lot of blue, uh, uh, little smattering of mono black, green, red. Um, and then it looks like the Nexus of fate decks, of course are dead, dead as a doornail. Yeah. Um, which brings us to our topic of the week. What got banned? Um, Oko, Deep of Crayons and Nexus of Fate, banned in Pioneer. Um, did you have the misfortune of having to play against either of those? Have you played this format at all?
1: Uh, I have only played uh, limited Throne sort of Eldraine. Uh, that's not true. Uh, I have been playing a lot of uh, Fires of Invention on uh, Arena, and uh, I played some of the uh, Cat Lady decks. Uh, that looked like a lot of fun, so I built that. And Oko is... Uh, I've not played against it in Pioneer, but it is just a real mistake of a card. Um, <laughs> I don't know any other way to say that, given like how insane the play pattern is. What do you do against the Oko if you can't immediately kill it? Do you let them have an endless stream of 3-3s three while they wait to trade a 3-3 three three for whatever it is of yours that they want? Who Who knows? Who knows? I mean... Modern and Legacy have also seen their share of Oko. Uh, is there any Vintage Oko to be seen? Probably. Uh, it's a it's oh, yeah. free artifact. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. wonderful. It does a lot
0: of work in Vintage.
1: Is that just a shorthand for should-get banned in Standard if Vintage players are picking it up?
0: Probably. I mean, some, sometimes you have cards that can't abuse dynamics that only exist in those formats. Um, but... It, they would clearly like to go back and change the text on Oko. Like, that's super obvious. Because that card could have been good without being busted with some minor tweaks. Four um, mana. Well, if one of his pluses had been a minus, also true. it had cost a little more maybe, or the loyalty had been a little lower, You, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. It would still be good, but not ridiculous. And it just didn't it didn't catch the final tweak that it needed to be okay. Or it did Um, get the the tweak
1: and then they decided, ah, we want to push this card.
0: (laughs) One of the funny things is after it got banned in Standard, uh, Andrea Mengucci was on Twitter, um, you know, super talented pro with lots of trophies um, on his shelf and talking about how he was buying them on Magic Online and thought it was a good time. And I, I stuck up my hand and said, I don't know about that. It could catch a ban in Pioneer. A few days later, he's looking really smart because Oko rebounded on Magic Online just fine on the back of Pioneer and Modern Play, plus Legacy and some Vintage, I guess. Um, but he responded to me with, I highly doubt it'll ever be banned in Pioneer on November 19th. So I got to ahem <laughs> him on Twitter this week. Oh,
1: good good for you. Good
0: for you. um, And I hope that as we were taught, like ever since mid-November, we've been saying on here that Oko is a, is a dangerous play. And believe me, I didn't want it to be true. And I didn't want to win that zero cost bet <laughs> because I'm holding a bunch of extended art Okos and foil extended art Okos that I bought from afar that have been sitting at one of my many depots um, waiting to get into my hands. And I've just been too busy to be out collecting them from the various corners of the globe over the last month or so, and I'm going to get burned. Um, which is something that's happened to me a couple times lately um, because it's just too much going on. Like, I, I got caught holding... I had a stack of foil smugglers copters that would have sold really well had I ever posted them up for sale. Um, that I got caught on that too. So, I mean, what, one of the lessons is with a new format like that that's moving as fast as Pioneer has been you got to be on your a game. You got to be organized, and you got to have the time to be flipping things on schedule. Because I'm going to end up here with something like five or six hundred dollars worth of Okos that I might not have anywhere to play.
1: <laughs> Do you think if you had them in hand, would you be trying to sell those extended art foils right now? I would have been selling them weeks ago when they when they took
0: off. Like I called Oko uh, back on.
1: Uh, let's see what episode that was well i asked because uh literally today uh it was today or yesterday a friend of mine uh messaged me and said uh what do you think i should do with my uh uh border for borderless foil oko is it worth holding on twitter should i sell it now and i told him based on modern and legacy and i guess vintage too i don't hate holding the most premium version of this card
0: no i i think it's it's still a sell because it's gonna fall and then you can buy it back for 30 bucks less like you want to be shorting oko right now in all versions the it was show 190 and this was october 15th so right after it came out i called oko thief of crowns extended arts to go 45 to 80 and they pretty much got there but you needed to get out. Like if, if you go from 40 to 60 in a hurry and the card looks too good to be true, that's a situation where you just want to exit because you don't want to be me <laughs> caught holding.
1: Also because uh, I believe that was right around the time of the Oko PT, right? Where everybody had gust or the black equivalent to get rid of their Oko immediately. No, the, the Pro Tour
0: doesn't go down in for a month after release these days. So that didn't that didn't go down until November. Um, so this was just spotting it as a card that was showing up all over the place. All right. In early in early lists. But being right is you know, pointless if you don't execute. I mean paper gains mean nothing.
1: Alright, I will um, I will let my pal Jesus know that uh he should sell and then rebuy if he really wants one. Because I I don't think they're going to ban it in Modern right away.
0: The three big GPs that are on the last weekend in January are all Pioneer, which is, I think, why he got the axe here. If those had been Modern GPs, they might not have had the impetus to do it. But they couldn't wait much longer because if they wait till, say, second week of January, which is, I think, when they're syncing the Pioneer ban schedule with everything else. um, Well, they they actually
1: said that they're going to take away the schedule. In the announcement.
0: Well, yeah, but, like, what they're doing... Because on Monday, they announced no bannings. Then later in the day, they announced the two Pioneer bannings. Which actually caught some people off guard because they thought their Ocos were safe. um, Because they didn't read the fine print. But starting second week of January, they're syncing it all up. So, if they're making any announcement, it will be all of the formats. Uh, But it can now be pretty much any time. Yeah. So... they can't ban Oko mid-January because everybody's already got their decks together for that triple GP <laughs> globally. So they they had to pull the Band-Aid off now right. so that those first that first wave of Pioneer GPs goes well. Um, I was a little more surprised about Nexus of Fate. Uh, not that the card isn't... Miserable. Annoying to play against, miserable to play against. Um, not that pros haven't been complaining that it's a broken Magic card pretty much the whole way along. But I think this is one of these interesting cases where a lot of the Pioneer decision making was probably driven by Magic Online data. Um, you know, how what were the win rates for this card on Magic Online? Must have been driving factors, as it has been with a lot of these bans, uh, including like the mono-black dominance on the last round of bannings. Um, because there haven't been any major tournaments to hang your hat on in terms of Nexus being a problem, I think that like major paper tournaments.
1: Yeah, what what happened is that they probably looked at the results and saw a lot. Like Nexus is a miserable ass card uh, online. It is unholy in person. You have the foil only problem to deal with. You have the uh, inordinate amount of shuffling, which they have tried to take out of standard. You have just, in a GP, you can't help but go to time on things like this. And you would not have been able to do things in a timely manner uh, if this had continued. Because if there's a a good Nexus deck, it just takes forever. And then the the play pattern of, uh, it takes them 40 minutes of the 50 minute uh, round to get that first win well congratulations now they're in the all i have to do is delay you mode and they win out the match
0: yeah so i don't think anybody's too upset that these two are headed for the door uh i will take my licks with everybody else who got caught holding okos uh and and hope that it it has a future in edh down the road but i suspect we're going to see uh a fairly significant crash when it eventually catches a ban in modern, which seems deserved. Um, The only thing that might save, not save it there is if they just start ignoring modern completely and stop worrying about manicuring that format too much, in which case that they could just, they could try to save a little face by arguing that you could play it there and then just not supporting modern in
1: 2021. Uh, Given that they just did modern horizons last year, I mean, I see them caring less, like it's not the new cool person to play with, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, Urza, I think, might, might get a ban before Oko does. That could happen. Or um could happen. Or it could, be, it could be
0: Mox Opal, who knows. Or it could be Lab. Yeah. All right. So we can wrap things up there. I think we've uh, covered our bases for the week. Next week will be our 200th episode. Uh, Travis and I will be going through uh, the year in MTG Finance, talking about the big hits and misses for MTG Finance 2019, doing a bit of a product and industry review, and we'll be going through probably our top uh, 20 best and worst spec calls of the year. We'll probably pick out a few cliffs as well so we can... uh,
1: Aww. give
0: him credit where credit is due you're too kind and just
1: do the good ones just do the good ones okay don't 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 make me look too bad <laughs> and uh yeah so uh
0: let's see here that's a wrap for the week where can people find you online cliff uh,
1: you can find me online at word of commander or my articles that go up every friday on MTGPrice.com.
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at mdgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, as well as haunting the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com ProTrader service. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money, playing Magic the Gathering also want to point out to people, I did a uh, AMA Facebook video with the MTG Finance Central Group last week, so you might want to go check that out for about an hour-long conversation about uh, where I was answering uh, questions from all comers. Um, had some good discussions there, so you might uh, take a peek. Um, who are we sponsored by, Cliff?
1: Once again, we are proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off the order and support this podcast. And it has come to an end. Always a pleasure, James. Uh, is there an, so
0: much for joining us this week, Cliff. Is there an
1: over-under on how long next week will run, given uh, tw- the 20 or so best picks for each of you? Oh, yeah, man. I'm going to go with two to two and a half hours. Um, brave man brave man yeah
0: 200 episodes wow
1: that's crazy um, that is crazy
0: all right i really enjoyed our discussion cliff thank you all uh, we'll see you next week on another episode of mtg fast finance